0: They are the sons and the daughters of life longing for itself. They come through you, but they are not from you, and though they are with you, they belong not to you. Good evening and welcome welcome to another edition of On Parenting.
1: Good evening and welcome to WPFW eighty-nine point three, Pacifica Radio here in the nation's capital. This is Jack Petras, your host for On Parenting, and welcome to our September show. Tonight we're going to be talking about boys, and to introduce that topic, I'm thinking of a scene from the movie The Godfather, where Don Corleone's wife, is, Don Corleone's daughter's wedding is occurring, and his bodyguard, Luca Brasi, this big guy, is standing outside rehearsing the remarks that he's going to make to the Don. And while he's there, he's going over this again and again and trying to get it right, and he's saying, Don Corleone, I'm honored to be here at the wedding of your daughter, and I hope that her first child will be a masculine child. And in this traditional um, way, Luca Brazzi is saying that he was wishing for a boy, but obviously he wasn't reading the research. Because had he been reading the research, he would know how much more challenging it is for boys in our country. How the statistics are just staggering, how juvenile crime, four out of five crimes, are committed by boys, how 95% of juvenile homicides are by boys, how nine out of ten drug and alcohol violations are boys, how a boy is seven times more likely to take his own life than a girl. And these statistics sobering statistics about boys, just call to mind the attention that we need to give the boys. And to explore that topic tonight, boys and their challenges and their gifts, uh, we have a guest, Stephen James, therapist in private practice in Nashville, Tennessee, the co-author of a fine book called Wild Things, The Art of Nurturing Boys, and the dad of four children, I believe. So Stephen, welcome.
2: Thanks for having me on, Jack. I Uh, appreciate the chance to, to be with you for the next little bit.
1: Uh, it's good to have you on. And now, Stephen, you work with with young people, and you hear these statistics. What about this crisis for boys? What do you say?
3: Well, well
2: I, th- I think it's something that that we need to be aware of for sure. That, that boys certainly are vulnerable. Uh, boys are at risk. Um, and but perhaps the most dangerous thing is that boys are misunderstood. So much of our culture wants to parent and educate and uh, and engage boys to. The hope that they would act like like girls, I think, or that at least that we could make them into into girls. I know in the classroom that's that's often. Yeah, that's. I think
1: that's exactly where it's it happens, isn't it?
2: Yeah, it really is. And so, and this boys be misunderstood. They um, they really react a lot uh, to to their environment. They're, they're really you know have a, have a strength within them, a, a passion, a courage often misunderstood as rage, um, that if, if there's not wise parents and teachers and educators and coaches and mentors to engage them um, in, in that part of them, um, they often can be led astray or not led at all. Yeah.
1: Now, your book, Wild Things, you've taken that from the book by Maurice Sendak.
2: Yeah, that's well, I think, you know, there's a movie coming out this fall um, uh-huh. that, that I think, it, you know, those of us that were born um, in the late 60s to late 70s, that was a book that was really important to us in our childhood. that Book that I think scared a lot of mothers <laughs> uh, you know, and it's about this boy who uh who at his, his core is is loving but is wild and his a book opens with him threatening to there's a picture of him trying to stab the dog with a fork and his threatens his mother to, he threatens his mother to eat her alive and um and it's just it's showing the great picture of the boy, not that really that at at its core though in that book, the boy is this tender imaginative um wonderful being and and there's so much that, that little children's book can teach us. It really inspired and, and uh, encouraged us to write a, um, a book about how to nurture boys.
1: You know, I listen to you saying that. I'm just remembering my father, and I'm sure he was a boy boy. And, uh, but what my, my cousin used to say about him is that, you know, he's a pineapple. On the outside, he's all prickly, but inside he's sweet. And I, I think a lot of boys, it's like that, that they, their sweetness is hidden. And do you find that?
2: Well, I th- you know what? I, I, I think it ends up being hidden. I think as they hit um, late childhood and early adolescence, uh, the nurturing, um, the, 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 the tenderness of the, of we call, we call the lover, the boy that's five to seven or eight years old, uh-huh. really um, gets sidetracked uh, in, in that he's expected to be a certain way and, and act a certain way and be tough. And So I think he, between the choices of being called a, a sissy, or being uh, embraced by, by, at least tolerated, by the culture. I think he buries a lot of his own tenderness. What, I think what we'd hope for is that, is that men could be both strong and tender, yeah. um, is that they could, they could we could train and nurture our boys to hold on to their, their sensitivity, but also have the courage to, to live a noble, um, passionate life. Yeah.
1: How interesting. How interesting. Now, you know, generalizations are limited in their value. I know that, because there are exceptions. Um, but I just wanted to explore with you this idea. Are, are boys different? And if so, are there physiological bases for these differences?
2: Are they different? You know, I think anybody who, who uh, is, would answer that question with any honesty, who's been around boys and girls um, at all, would, would know uh, the difference. So just tonight, I was giving my own children baths, and I've got um, two four year old sons, and I've got a six year old son, and then I have a nine year old daughter. She took care of herself tonight. But the, the boys. I used to be able, I let my daughter sat in the bath for thirty minutes just uh, she was doing <laughs> studying and just relaxing in a bubble bath and then it was time for the boys to get a bath and there was uh individually they as they each came in to get their bath the bathroom was in greater disarray and greater disarray you know and so just anecdotally I think we know the 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 difference between boys and girls, but physiologically emotionally and I think even spiritually boys are wired quite differently we know their brains are are structured differently, how they process and interpret information, how they express information, what they do with uh, common emotions like anger and shame are really different than what girls do. How they learn, um, how they uh, memorize, how they don't memorize, how, um, how they need a, physical, a greater physical space than girls, they need more physical touch than girls at young ages. It's just the the differences go on and on and on about how they're physiologically different.
1: Huh. Now you said that boys need more physical touch. Can you say a little bit yeah. more about that? Well, if
2: you that? ever noticed, you know this example. I picked up my uh, my four-year-old sons from preschool today, and when I walked over um, to the door to get them, one ran and punched me in the stomach, <laughs> and the other jumped behind me and grabbed my grabbed my legs, uh-huh. um, and. My daughter, my mom and I picked my daughter from school today, she just ran out and, and gave me a sweet little hug and handed me her book bag and, and we walked on, you know, home. But but my boys really have this need for, for a physicality That's that my right. daughter doesn't have. Doesn't mean that she doesn't like to be touched and and, and loved on, but, but my boys love to wrestle, they love to engage, they love to push, they love to shove, they love to to, to push and bite and hit and and um and there's, so there's a way that we we misunderstand boys that often their their affection uh, that they channel as aggression. That's um, right. And there's been studies over and over again that have shown this. But oh. but today you know it's it's my sons were really pummeling me. It was a sign of saying, "Dad, I love, love you." you. And,
1: That's exactly and I, right. And if
2: I had I had the wisdom enough to kind of help help try to steer that. But but also you know there's some of the the closest connections that I have with my sons is when we spend a half hour you know, wrestling on yeah. the floor, yeah. um, and, uh, you know, three of them now, they can win. It's like the numbers <laughs> gang up against me. So in that way, boys really do have a greater need for physical touch, and even thing. their personal space. If you watch boys in the classroom, this is so often why teachers will put a girl between two boys, is boys are always touching and, and hitting and pushing and grabbing and manipulating um, some some of that is because they're tactile learners, mm-hmm. but also because they have this need to be physically connected um, to the world around them that girls don't, don't seem to have.
1: You know, I grew up in a culture of boys in New York City and, you know, in the schoolyards playing, and that's exactly how we said hello to each other. That is how we said we care. You know, when we played football together, just that contact was something in, endearing, and I just know that those fellows just meant so much to me, and that was how I expressed it. Was yeah, it we, in the, I
2: was in the schoolyard the other day. I, I volunteer a lot at the school, and, and there was uh, uh, some boys roughing each other around during P.E., and this teacher got up and was livid and walked over yeah. and was snapping her finger and pointing down. at them. And, they need, and they were not doing anything. They know their limits. They weren't going to yeah. hurt each other. And if, if they did, they would have made up quickly. Um, but that she, couldn't, she couldn't tolerate their roughness. It was, it was um, uneasy for her to sit and watch these boys. Uh, wrestle and tussle with each other, and, and, but it's such a language of how boys express yeah. affection and bond, almost like little puppies.
1: I've seen that also in classrooms where teachers will misunderstand um, physical signs of affection and excitement yes. at the end of a lesson. Nothing that's out of order and nothing that endangers anyone, but just that exuberance that um, can make a teacher who misunderstands it nervous.
2: Yeah, and yeah. That, you know, on the opposite end though, a teacher who can harness that um, is I think is way ahead of the curve. my daughter's teacher, for instance, when the boys do something right they they get to get up and do a touchdown dance you know they each they have to over the years <laughs> the course of the year, each child develops his own victory dance for for getting the answer right and it's it's a way for the boys to, to she turns their competitive nature um into her ally in the classroom yeah. um, and so when these boys get an answer right, they get up and they spike a piece of paper and they do their you know their their end zone dance that that um, that they've seen all the guys do on t v watching sporting events yeah.
1: Now we're talking tonight with Stephen James here at WPFW eighty nine point three on parenting. Our number here is two zero two five eight eight zero eight nine three. Any questions you have about boys for for Stephen, please call in and uh, we'll be happy to speak with you. Now, Stephen, when uh, we talked about the differences in in a boy's brain, and I, I think I read somewhere that um, one of the chemicals that we have in our brain is serotonin, and that I believe it is. Um, instrumental in impulse control and it that, really,
2: yeah it really is and, and boys have far less of it than, than girls. girls and, <laughs> and <yep. laughs> I mean, girls build up in girls build up a reservoir of serotonin boys build up a reservoir of testosterone yeah. um and so that the the center of the brain the parts that stores all these chemicals the um boys as soon as they hit like eight or nine or ten they're they're, they're storing massive amounts of testosterone that need to be released in the an adolescent boy in a pre-adolescent boy has has um, as much testosterone surging to their brain as a grown man yeah. um... And, and it's just a lot for them to handle and, and what they lack a little bit of is serotonin compared to girls uh, yeah. which is the calming um... kind of uh... sedating uh... drug that that um... that you know we all hear about that with the with the antidepressants the serotonin uptake drugs and, mm-hmm. and those kind of thing it really helps us have a sense of well-being and and rejuvenation. Boys don't have that. Another way their brain's different is a boy's brain goes into a rest state uh, twice as often as girls, um, <laughs> and twice as deep. So if you think about a computer and your hard drive, you don't play through your computer; it spins down and the screen goes dark. A, a boy's brain is doing that twice as often, and when it spins down, it spins down twice as deep into a rest state than girls' brains. And so when you're talking to a boy, and they don't hear you. Um, and you ask, what are you thinking about? The chances are they may be thinking about nothing uh, because the, the boy brain needs to to uh, rest. I see that in my practice all the time working with couples. Um, I'll find the men staring staring out the window, and a the wife will go, well, what are you thinking about? And I'll take that opportunity to explain uh-huh. to the wife that he's resting, and he needs to rest every few minutes in order to hear the next thing you're going to say. And even men find that liberating because they because they can't really focus. It, as, as well as their wives yeah, I, so, it, the same is true with adult
1: men I imagine that some of the women listeners right now are just nodding in um, agreement with what you're saying Like, yeah. yes I've seen that <laughs> yeah, I think they are now Stephen one of the things I, I liked in your book was uh, I mean I just liked your book so much and one of the many things I liked was your stages for child development and how this young boy you call him the explorer and mm-hmm. I guess that's from ages like two to four can you say a little bit about this explorer and what um parents and caregivers should know about this young boy?
2: yeah, that's one of my favorite ages um this is This is the age where a boy is is reaching out and stretching and uh you know is looking and exploring the world around him he's he's putting things in his mouth he's grabbing things with his hands he's climbing things he is digging at things he is, i mean everything is is an experience to be. To be judged and to be um, taken in by him, um, he is—he's—he's he's, like parents can and teachers can engage these boys with direct kind of verbal things. It's when you say to an explorer, "Hey, uh, you know, where do your toys go?" To an explorer, and even to the next stage a lover, the explorer—that sounds like a riddle. Um, <laughs> the kindest way we can talk to a boy in this explorer stage is, is to talk directly. Put your toys away. Uh-huh. Um, and and, and that, that really is the kindest way because it makes sense to them. Uh, they're really concrete, and they're always pulling against parents. They're always testing boundaries. So they're gonna, if you, when you put your, your preschooler to bed at night, um, he is going to get out of bed often to test your resolve. Um, and it's not personal. He just needs to find how strong a boundary he, he has so yeah. he can feel safe. So boys this age really need consistency. They need um, a loving strength from their parents. They and, and their and their teachers, or educators, and, and they really need um, someone who understands their need to explore. That'll give them a, a wide berth that will let them kind of wander off, supervised of course, but wander off, um, you know, in the yard, wander off at a playground. Really see what they can do, and, and really, you know, even to the the you know, risking that they get hurt. You know, letting them climb on things and. And so they can really test their limits and test their strengths. And if they don't, they'll, that will really begin to show up, um, later and later. That the, the younger you let a boy find out his limitations, uh, the safer he's going to be as he hits adolescence.
1: Huh? That's important.
2: It really is important. Uh, and it's scary, you know. My, you know, and it's it's my wife and I talk a lot about this: is of how dangerous do we let our children, yeah. or especially our boys, uh, become? And and you know. You know, a broken arm, it's not that big of a deal, really. You know, it's so and it's really a battle scar um, uh, that that he gets to talk about later in life. And so you know, letting them kind of stretch their limits. I've got one of my four-year-olds can climb poles really well, and and uh, we let him climb really high on some things just so, so he gets a sense of his own fear and, and his own uh, humility.
1: Stephen, I agree with you on that. I think parents are too protective today. We're going to go to the phones. We've got our first caller and uh, Lisa. Lisa, are you there? Yeah. Hi, good evening.
4: Hi. Yeah, um, I'm a single mom and I have a young boy who uh spends a few days a week with his dad and his half brother and what I hear, um, of course it's hard for me to know cuz I'm not there, but is that his 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 half brother is pretty rough with him. His 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 brother's about 6 years older than he is.
1: And how old's your son?
4: Um, he's 9. 9, uh-huh. And you know, my tendency is to worry and and want to intervene, but I'm wondering. You know, I mean, from what you're saying, it sounds like well, maybe this is all normal and and it's just a way of expressing love. Um, it,
2: it can be. What, what concerns me about about the you said the 15 year old's a half brother. Yeah. yeah. What concerns me about that is is that is that a lot of boys at that age. The, the kind of play I'm talking about is not as much about shaming a child or intimidating a child as it is engaging a child mm-hmm. um, and I would have the concern that the fifteen year old would be um, would be having power over um, and of yeah. intimidation, not yeah. through engagement and so I think anytime your son would feel uh, shamed by his half brother um, it's really different than than them wrestling around or or arm wrestling or you know that kind of thing you know and so so that That's the kind of thing that I would really be cautious of because really boys um that that's a really great window, and it's also where they're really vulnerable is that nine ten eleven uh twelve year old window which is kind of the individual they they really start to to um to change in this in this stage and so that's a pleasure they really need to be appearing uh, well it's great that 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 he's spending time at his dad's house though that is that that is a great thing for him um i, I would maybe if, if you and your um ex i guess it's your ex-husband have a have a cordial cordial relationship then you could possibly have a conversation with him about about the 15-year-old um and making sure that that, that connection is is uh, right
4: well i tried the, that and and you know it always gets downplayed and so it's hard for me to know except from my son who seems to think that you know it's it's a little over the top um yeah. so i don't yeah
2: and that's and that's the bind is and and you know the the one thing the a good thing that could come out of it too is that your son's talking to you about it um and and I would keep that line of communication open uh and have him talk to his dad about it um that could be a great thing where he and his dad could have a, a you know, um some time alone where he, you know he could bring it up to his dad in a in a in a way that that's helpful yeah so Recommend that too. But it's great that your son is is with his dad. That's, that is so important. So many times, um, kids from separated homes or divorced homes don't don't get to connect with their with their father enough, and it's and it can be difficult for the mom, especially if that relationship strained, to let the son go engage. But it's so important um, that that the mom let the son do that. And it's good for the son.
1: Thank you. Yeah, Lisa. One other thing is you know the age difference when we talk about the kids being physical. It's often with other kids whose age is very similar to theirs, yeah. and that means their size is very similar. Mm-hmm. And so the physicality, in a way, is different than with a child who's six years older. Right. And, and that's the thing that, that probably deserves some attention.
2: Yeah, because the 15-year-old at that age, is he's really kind of having his own, it's, a, it's another transitional stage where he's really in his own emotional crisis of what it means to be a man. And, yeah. and if he doesn't have a safe place to work that out, he, he can work that out through his own questions of shame and do I have what it takes and am I man enough? Mm-hmm. Can, he can play that out on, on his half-brother, which is not, not, not a good thing. And mm-hmm. I would look for things like bruising and, and those kind of injuries that, that would definitely speak to it's going too far.
1: Okay. All right. Thank you, Lisa. We're talking to Stephen James, co-author of Wild Things here at WPFW 89.3, our show on parenting. And you can call in at 202-588-0893. Now, Stephen, I want to come back to this, um, this explorer because we were talking about the boundaries and how they need to push those boundaries and explore what, what you call the edge of the world.
2: Yeah, it really is, the, to them, their edge of the world is, how far can I get away from my parents and still see my parents? Yeah. You know? and, and they're, they're really going to keep stretching those boundaries. There was a famous study done by, by some uh, child psychologists where they built two identical playgrounds. Um, the only difference between the two playgrounds is one had a fence around them, a gate around them. They let the children go out and play on the playground with the fence, and the children played all around the playground. Um, they went and let the children play out on a playground without the fence, and the children huddled close to the apparatus and wouldn't stretch their their limits. So boys need to know there's boundaries so they can they can stretch themselves and, and push against them. And and but they're going to push to the edge of what those boundaries are. Uh, we talk about real practically in the book how they need open space. Mm-hmm. Um, that these boys are active and aggressive, uh, which in a closed environment, especially in a, in a urban environment, um, that can be havoc. And that the, the the son, the boy, really needs to be able to get outside. Um, he really needs adult caretakers that can that can really head off a lot of their own problems by in lamps and those kind of things by letting them go outside and play by turning them outside. Uh, when I picked my own children up from school today, the first thing we did is went to a park for thirty minutes and let them burn off energy before I brought them home. And with boys, that's so necessary. Um, and as this explore stage, it, it's it is. Uh, fundamental that that they have that those edges of their of their own horizon to, to play with and but they'll push they'll push but they usually won't get out of the parent's sight it's really funny they'll yeah. they'll keep looking back to see if mom or dad are, is looking at them and watching and if mom and dad look scared um the the boy will interpret that that, that he doesn't have enough to to kind of move through and but if the, if the parent gives them a little nod, a little suggestion that the parent has what it takes, the boy will have the confidence that the parent's looking out for them, and then the child will move a little further and, and be secure that, that that their parents are big enough and strong enough to protect them from the world.
1: That's great, because that's just the pattern of their life, right? They just keep going a little bit further yeah. and a little bit further as they get older.
2: Yeah, and oftentimes as parents, we we find it offensive um, or call it rebellious when they push against boundaries. Yeah. And it's really, they're testing and growing and learning, um, and if as parents, our boundaries aren't strong enough, then they'll run into cultural boundaries, like the law, or they'll flunk out of school, or they'll lose their job. And if we could do a good job as parents by letting them experience boundaries and natural consequences and suffer because of those things, then they'll, then they'll be far better served as they hit, the, hit adulthood.
1: Yeah, I, I, I know I've read, and I believe it was in, in your book, that, that boys need more structure.
2: Yeah, really... They, they really do, but the right kind of structure. They yep. don't need oppression. They need real clear guidelines Loving around structure. this is what's expected, yep. and this is what the con- consequences are going to be. Um, and it needs to not be nebulous kind of, uh, you know, if you do something, so- something bad's going to happen. You know, the boys really need to know what, what's going to happen to them when they cross this line. And when they cross the line, because they will, they need that consequence. Um, and as a kind of general rule, we we parent, we the consequences need to... Be effective enough to sh- so that the child will show remorse. Yeah. Um, and so with a young child, often that's especially the boy in the lover stage who's super emotionally sensitive, boy between the ages of five and eight. That's not uh, a you know I can put one of my sons in time out and they'll be they'll be crushed that I that I put them in time out or they don't get to do what their what their siblings are doing. Whereas you know uh, my my uh, daughter who's a little bit older, um, I watch her peers and those those boys need, need a, a more uh, or a more uh, strenuous kind of punishment,
4: mm-hmm.
2: um, you know, to be removed, uh, to be, to be set down, to be to have a privilege in a way, those, those kind of things that, that need to be done to voice in, in older ages.
1: Yeah, it just seems that as the kids go through these developmental stages, our response to them has to go through a, a growth stage as well. Yeah, and really. To a new it, level. And,
2: and we have to give ourselves grace as parents to learn um Especially on our, our oldest child, I, yeah. I, me being the oldest of, of my family, um, I'm having a, a, a real uh, sensitivity to to the experiments that I'm playing out with my oldest son. <laughs> uh, I think my younger sons have have far better off because I've made the mistakes I have with my older son.
1: Because you learn as you go. Yeah. Yeah, that's our parenting journey. We're talking to Stephen James, co-author of the book Wild Things here at WPFW. Uh, Any questions you have about boys, give us a call, 202-588-0893. Now, Stephen, I want to move on to the next stage of of, of a boy's development and look at the lover, this child between the age of 5 to 8, Tell us a little bit about that title, what, what we're supposed to know about this young fellow as he gets ready and begins school.
2: Yeah, we, You know, this is an age where the boy is moving out. From, he's starting to spend more time away from home um, awake than he is at home awake. It's a time where, um, where he's making a transition from, from mom and dad running his life to uh, other adults interacting in his life. Um, it's at all, but, at, but at the core, it's an age of the boy is still incredibly tender, and, and um, incredibly vulnerable, and incredibly sensitive. Uh, far more than that, that starts to fade over the next few years. Uh, but the boy and these ages are I need to say aren't hard and fast; and mm-hmm. kind are of transitional. Yep. You know, they're not at nine. The boy becomes this. Some boys hit earlier, some boys hit later. The development, of, of, but this is the spectrum. They move from the explorer to the to the lover stage. This five to eight stage. And this this boy is um, is so sweet and so affectionate and so um, uh, ah, he's just precious. He really is. And he and they love humor at this stage. They yes, really they do. get humor and they and they like to laugh at things even if they don't understand the joke. They understand humor. They're really emotionally. Um, aware at this age and, and it 's a great time where we can start teaching them to speak out of their emotions and giving them language of their own heart through, through helping them talk about their feelings and yeah. things that they 're scared of and things that they're they 're angry about, and really helping them learn to uh, find a vocabulary for their own heart and because what happens is as they mo- keep moving further and further out of this five to eight year old window they they really start to, to be shaped more by their by their culture and less by their parents and so this is a this is a, the most formidable age, I believe, for us as parents to engage engage our sons, um, where where we really have the most impact. Uh-huh. But we have to remember that that the impact that we're having is to keep is to keep them tender. Yeah, um, yeah. five to eight. We don't want to toughen them up. The world's going to toughen up our yeah. boys for the most part. Now that's not true for every boy. Some boys. Um, you know, are, are almost fragile. But for the typical boy who's five to eight, he's going to be very tender. He doesn't need to be toughened up at home. He needs to have that tenderness nurtured and developed because the world's a tough place, and the world will do all the toughening. Mom and dad don't need to toughen the boy up. They need to, they need to, um, to, to love on him. And 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 That's right. it's, a, it's an age where he needs to be given a lot of positive uh, feedback. He needs to be touched um, uh, lovingly. He needs to be. Um. Uh, still lullabies sung to him, and um, uh, his, his imagination needs to be encouraged. Yeah. Um. You know, we, we, this is a great age to introduce movies because we find with boys, it's a great way to talk about things of the heart. Yeah. Um. And you know, Old Yeller is it for it, for instance? Mm-hmm. Uh, with my sons, we're reading The Lion, Which in the Wardrobe right now. Uh-huh. great design. book. Great yeah, book. Yeah. And and we've even done you know we. Talk in the book a lot about how rites of passage are really important, and we start those at this age. At five, uh, you know, boys get a special trip with dad, um, and then every year after that, there's a rite of passage kind of experience. A part of that for our son is every year he gets to watch a different Star Wars movie, and so unlike some of his peers who've been shown all the Star Wars yep. movies, we're moving through this hero's quest, which is the story of Star Wars. It's the maturation of a man. And we're moving through those stories one year at a time, and so there's this anticipation and this this right that he gets to experience, you know. And when he turns seven this fall, he gets his own pocket knife and things yeah. like that. That we really are, are you know, indoctrinating him and in and helping
1: what it means him to grow. be a man
2: who's living fully from his own heart. Yeah. And and so you know, movies are a great thing. Iron Giant's a great movie for boys this age. Yeah. Um, uh, but you need to encourage their imagination um, and also. Things like camping are great for boys yeah. at this age.
1: Now, uh, Stephen, we're going to come back after yeah. our, our break, and we've got some callers, and we've got some good things to explore with you. I want to hear more about this camping, and we're going to come back and go to the phones. But right now, we're going to take a short break for public service message.
0: Here is a statement from local station board candidate, Campbell Johnson. My name is Campbell Johnson. I'm a third generation Washingtonian. I support self determination and justice for WPFW, and I'm committed to Pacifica's progressive, educational, and uplifting mission. As an active contributing member of the local station board, I chair the Finance, Inclusion, and Management Assessment and Search Committees. I want your vote. I believe I possess the commitment, experience, skills, and teamwork orientation to continue making a solid contribution to WPFW. I'm a product of the D.C. public schools. I have an MBA degree in finance from the University of Pennsylvania. I'm active in a number of grassroots groups committed to community empowerment, education, and uplift. My long history of social activism includes founding the Urban Housing Alliance, which fights displacement of low- and moderate-income residents in the Washington area. Previously, I was a bank controller and executive vice president of a national development finance firm. My focus is preserving our diverse community's rich cultural expressions and continuing to challenge injustice. That was a statement from local station board candidate Campbell Johnson. Your ballots have been mailed out. Remember, mail the ballots in by October 15th. If you have not received your ballot by September 28th, call 202-588-0999, extension 308. Thank you.
1: Welcome back to On Parenting. This is Jack Petras, your host, and we're speaking tonight with Stephen James, co-author of the book Wild Things, and we're going to go to the phones now and speak with Helen. You there, Helen? Yes, I am. Uh, good evening.
3: Good evening. Um I have a question about my fourteen year old son. He's about to turn fifteen next in October, and um, he is six foot five and has been exhibiting, um, anger anger control issues. He, um, has become physically violent with me on occasion when I don't expect it as a response. Um, and he tends to be overly aggressive physically with his younger sister, who is 12, and, um, has also shown this physical aggression toward my mother, who is in her 60s. And I... Just wanted to get your opinion about how I should proceed with him, without interrupting his um, schoolwork and without lowering his self-esteem. What should I do for him?
2: Well, Helen, that's that's a great question. We need to understand that boys develop along different paths at the same time. One. Being their emotional development, two being their physical development. Another way is their moral or spiritual development. And boys develop along those those same paths at different paces. It sounds like your fourteen-year-old son has the body, and the physiology of a man, um, but he has the the, the emotion and a moral spiritual development of a, a still a fourteen-year-old boy. And mm-hmm. so, what would be a fourteen-year-old boy, um, uh. Trying to deal with his anger, which is really hard for a 14 year old boy to deal with. The two, the two emotions that boys have the hardest time dealing with are anger and shame. And 14, 15, 16 are ages where that, those feelings get really twisted and knotted and, and don't really have a way to, to express other feelings. They just all come out as anger and shame. Um, and so it sounds like you have a really complex challenge. One, in, in that, that your son um, has, the, 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 again, the biology of a man, but the, the maturity of a boy. And that's a really hard thing, not only for, for you to handle, but also him. So when I would start with a conversation, if, if he is open to talking to you, about that, about mm-hmm. that, that, does he show remorse when he does those kind of things? a yeah, good question.
3: Um, I don't think he does so much. I mean, I think maybe in his own way, he sort of goes into his own shell and then calms down, but he's not immediately remorseful. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes I can see that he's trying to control himself, and it's hard for him. That's
2: that's great that he that he recognizes that. If there's a, a time when he's calm and, and feels and you feel connected and he's in a good place, that might be a great chance for you to to kind of bring up this category of these different developmental paths. Um, uh, you know, is there a dad in the picture?
3: There is, um, and he sees him once every other week. And the dad is sort of the main disciplinarian, and um, I am uh, very ineffective when it comes to discipline.
2: Sure is. Sure, I, I could I could see that. Um, you know, this may be a time that you know where you might want to consider is it, is it a chance he needs to be around men you know in most cultures uh besides the western culture this this age of adolescence of thirteen fourteen fifteen is a time where boys are separated from their mothers and are raised sure. by men at, at that at that place and I don't know if the father's the uh, the kind of man that that could do that, but it sure sounds like your son is asking for something you can't give um Right now, and and you may want to look at getting him in with with a a therapist or a child psychologist, somebody he can sit down and begin to process and find a language for what's going on inside of him. Um, And may because there's something that he's trying to express besides his anger, he just doesn't have a way to access it. I would believe. Okay. Um, uh, It kind of concerns me that he is not showing a lot of remorse. Frankly, that that gives me some alarm, and um, it might say there's something else going on, something um, more more rooted. His psyche, but there also may be some physiological things um, that that you know. I'm not one for drugging boys and and sedating them through through things, but but there might be some stuff going on with him uh, psychologically and physiologically that need to be addressed okay. uh, uh, through, through the doctor. Um, so I would have some of those things looked at, but but definitely getting him in with a good therapist uh, it would be a great step because he doesn't. Want, you don't want for him him to do something that he'll end up. Severing relationship with you or with his sister in a in a way that, or even his grandmother in a way that, that um, he'll regret later in life. And so I think one, having a conversation with him about about how you see him struggling sometimes, and you're grateful for that, and and that his body is different than his than his maturity, and that's got to be hard for him. Um, just kind of letting him know that you know that what's going on is hard. Uh, secondly, um, talking with his dad about how his dad can get more engaged on a regular basis. And, and three, um, getting him with a child psychologist or, or a therapist that specializes in adolescent boys. There'll um, be some steps that I would I would take um, pretty quickly. Yep,
1: yeah. and I would share Stephen's concern. And Helen, we're going to send you a copy of of Stephen's book Wild Things. And if you look in the section on Wanderer, the 13 to 17 year old, I think some of the things Stephen said there, uh, they'll come back to you when you take a look at that.
3: Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thank you yeah. for your call. Holland
1: we're talking with Stephen James co-author of Wild Things and we've got another caller we're going to go to the phones and Richard are you there Richard? Yeah Hey good evening How are you? Alright Am I on, on now? You are Yeah I'd like to ask the question of the um, that book that he was mentioning at first two questions I'd like you to uh, re-mention the title of that book that he said um, Mother's Dread and I'd like to ask um, I have a three-year-old son and um, me and the mother are separated or, and um,
4: recently I went to pick him up at school and uh, his fingernails were painted
1: and I, I had a big problem with that and the mother says she would do it again because she painted nails in front of my son and I think totally wrong. What is your opinion on that?
2: Well, I think uh, at three, um, he's just kind of playing around. I wouldn't, uh, you know, wouldn't have be too concerned. I would also be making sure that, that you're giving him um, very masculine experiences, though, again, not to toughen him up, but really to show him what it's like to be a man, like letting him get dirty, letting him, uh, uh, um, you know, throw rocks, letting him break sticks, you know, th- those kind of things that, that boys need to do. It's great that you're engaged in his life, that you're picking him up from school, that you're, that you're around him. Um, but really, boys that young are gonna want to see what fingernail painting's like. They're gonna and, and the more taboo you make it, the more off limits you make it, the more they're gonna be curious in it. And so, really, with a three-year-old and, and two and three-year-old boy who's who sees mom painting his fingernail her fingernails and wants to him wanting to paint his um, that's that's not a um, an abnormal thing at all. Um, uh, and neither does it does it um, predict the, the future of the son's development. But but you also um, I think as he gets older, you really start talking to him about about what what that means and about you know how he marks himself for society and those kind of things. But I think at two or three years old thats that's not a big deal, but I think yeah. you also you know that you want to continue to spend time with them, encourage him um, as, a, as, a, as a boy, love on him as a father, um, let him get outside, let him, let him do things that are physical in nature, and and that's kind of how I would approach that.
1: Yeah, and to keep in mind that imitation is the most powerful um, way of learning when their child is that age. And so mm-hmm. it, it's the most natural thing for them to do is to imitate what they see an adult doing in their presence. And our, our children do that all the time. And they stop doing it at a certain age. Um, okay. That's why, you know, it's the kind of thing that Stephen's implying that your child will grow through. And I would think the same thing. Okay. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you, much. Great Richard. point, Jack. Thank you. All right, Stephen. You know our time is moving along here. We're not going to get to all these stages, but I didn't want the, our show um, to pass tonight without us getting to talk about the individual. This this child that that in a way is is at risk between the ages of nine and twelve. This delicate age. Yeah, it
2: really is a fragile age, and because the boy's moving, you know, from his parents to to being influenced by his peers. And those are the two main Ps in a son's life: parents and peers. And at this age, nine to twelve, over the, over this four-year period, three or four-year period, he is transitioning away from his parents. Where his parents will, over over the course of this span, will become um, less and less influential in his life. And so it's it's a it's a real age where you're, you're establishing some patterns that you're going to kind of live live with over the next five, six, seven years with him. And and so as a parent, if if you are um, uh, real intentional about opening up some communication with your son about about um you know, being real intentional with how you parent and, and how you how you help him uh through this stage, you'll you'll be better served in the next couple of years. But it's a it's a real difficult stage because the boy is ambivalent. He really wants to be connected to his parents and he also really wants to be connected with his peers. And so he'll waffle in and out of those things. Um he'll want to you know he'll want to go away for a weekend with, with some kids and then he'll get scared while he's there, you know, and, and he'll wanna stay at home or he'll wanna uh, he'll try on different, start trying on different personalities a little bit during this during this stage. Um, he'll start experimenting with uh, with profanity yep. um, and what it means, you know, the sense of power with language. He'll start cursing. Um, he uh, he'll be real critical. You'll notice yep. him ta- talking about his coach or his teacher and and blaming like he on the bench for a game or something with his coach. He'll start blaming the coach or like coach doesn't like me. He's just he'll start he'll start taking his internal world and, and placing blame. The criticism on on those around him he uh um he's in a real stage of evolution right he's really moving from a, a boy into an adolescent and it's it's a real confusing time and he he's kind of really searching for an identity and he's also searching for something to anchor himself to. And so uh, us as parents at the, of boys at this age, we really need to have boys at this 9 to 12 age around as many good, solid other male mentors and other female mentors, too, for the boy to, to have modeled for him what it means to be a good man. Um, and so scouts or sports or some kind of, uh, any kind of context where there's, a, where there's a strong, good male role model for him to be attached to, because those are the kind of things that you want to put in his life he 's really looking and searching for what it means to be a man yeah. he's his gaze is moving from from the family out into the world, and so we have to be really vigilant at this age to to put things in front of him that we want him to see, um, which is thing we talk about in the book at this age you've got to have internet filters on your computer most boys are exposed to pornography from the age around age eight or nine and and it's 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 epidemic in our, in, yes, our it is. in our culture and and if we as parents aren't being vigilant around around that um, we're really putting our boys at risk to to around their own sexuality around their future relationship with their wives around how they how they treat their their own boys around their sexuality i mean there's all kinds of dangers that are embedded in boys being um, that sexual template and being laid down too early inside their brain and and so we need to put good things in front of them at this age and we also need to hear them clear of the things that are that are that are dangerous for them yeah
1: yeah well i want to thank you Stephen, for your time tonight oh,
2: jack thank you so much it's been
1: so time. wonderful to have you here and it just was a pleasure to read your book and and i want you also please please thank david thomas for his work on wild things because the two of you have done such a fine job on this book and i recommend it to anyone who wants to begin to explore the the challenges and the gifts that boys bring to us
2: Thank you. And, you know, we're really proud of this book, and we've tried to make it extremely practical. You know, every chapter yes, it is theoretical, is. but it's also extremely practical with tips about how to how to help your son. And then the last 25% of the book is just situational things that, that about dating, or boys and money, or about substance abuse, or about pornography, or all the these little you know, almost like white papers that we can read about about what it means to help a boy. So we tried to make it really useful for parents and educators. Um, Around what does it mean to nurture boys well?
1: Yeah, no, it's a fine book, and and I thank you for your work with that, and and thanks so much for being on tonight. I, you know, I feel like we we got part of the way into this conversation. There's just so much to say.
2: Well, I thank you that, for your passion around yeah. boys.
1: Oh, you're yeah. welcome. I love them. Thank you, thank you, Stephen. Wow. Well, you know, before we turn toward Bobby McFerrin and the Kalanji Alushagun in our story tonight there's a story that comes to my mind about the needs of boys on a physical level how at this age especially this age of 9 to 12 they need to be out doing things you know so often our kids are sequestered at home and they spend their time with their music or their video games and all of that energy that they've got has no place to go and there's a story about a boy who was out walking with his father they were walking through the woods uh, in a nature setting and a little bit of a wild nature setting and on this day in the woods they came upon a rattlesnake and they stopped and the father stopped and the boy saw it first he stopped first and they looked at it and they didn't move and they watched that rattlesnake for a few minutes and then they made a wide circle around that rattlesnake and continued their hike and they only went a short distance further when the boy turned to his dad and he said it's best day of my life the boys need that they need to know they're out in the real world they need to know that they're part of an adventure that life is an adventure so great to think about boys tonight and um, now we're going to move to Bobby McFerrin and our story And now our story tonight, Scunny Wundy, by Kalanji
5: This is a story from the Seneca Nation, the indigenous people of this country, Scunny Wundy's Skipping Stone. Long ago, in a little village by the Atzing Ningo River, there lived a boy named Scunny Wundy. He was not as big and strong as the other boys but he could do two things better than the others. Think fast and skip stones. Though the other boys tried, none beat him at stone skipping. Sometimes they'd ask Scunny Wundy to join them in throwing stones at frogs and turtles on the river bank. Scunny Wundy would never do that. His mother had told him stories about the animals and he didn't want to hurt them. Finally, none of the other boys would skip stones with him. But Scunny Wundy's didn't mind. Almost any day he could be found by the river Skipping Stones. Scunny Wundy always went to the south because of what his parents told him. Why must I never go to the north? Scunny Wundy asked. Listen, his mother said, to the north there are terrible beings, giants whose skins are made of stone. Arrows and spears bounce off them. They are taller than pine trees. And do you know what they like to eat? Scunny Wundy shook his head, though he knew the answer. He'd heard such stories from his parents before. People, said Scunny Wundy's father, a boy like you would be one bite for a stone giant. But if they don't see people, they forget we exist. If they weren't so stupid, they would have wiped out all of the people long ago. So do not go to the north. For a long time, or so it seemed, to Wandy, he did as his parents said. Whenever he skipped stones on the river, he went south. When he returned, he never went past his own village. But it grew harder and harder to find good skipping stones. One day, Scandiwandi rose very early. Before the sun, no one was awake. He said to himself, It won't matter if I walk just a little ways towards the north. I won't go far. As soon as he started north, he found a good skipping stone. Another one, though, further on, was better. Gradually, he went around the bend in the river, leaving the village far behind. Finally, as the sun reached the middle of the sky, he found a stone that was perfect. It was just the right weight, smooth and flat. Setting his feet, he cocked his arm and threw. It skipped twelve times before it sank, leaving a row of rings on the river's smooth surface. Here, Scuddy Wundy shouted, "I am the best skipper of stones in the world!" Ha ha! Rode a great voice over his head, so loud it shook the ground under his feet. "You are not the greatest skipper of stones." Scuddy Wundy looked up. There, looming over the trees, was the biggest, hungriest-looking stone giant anyone could imagine. It reached down, picked up a flat stone as big as a bear, and threw it across the river. That stone skipped fifteen times before it sank. Ha, 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 the stone giant roared again. You see who is the greatest skipper of stones. Now I'm going to eat you. Scunny Wundy knew it would be no good to run. The stone giant could catch him in one stride. But he could use his wits. Huh? Scundi-Wundi said. Are you afraid I could beat you? Ew, said the stone giant. I am afraid of no one. He stomped his foot on the ground so hard it almost knocked Scundi-Wundi off his feet. If you are not afraid, Scundi-Wundi said, we will have a contest to see who's the better at skipping stones. "No," the stone giant said. I agree. Go ahead, throw your stone, try to beat me. Ah, Scunny Wendy said, my arm is too tired now. I've been skipping stones all day. Let me go home and rest. I promise I'll be back tomorrow for our contest. Oh, the stone giant said, that is good. Tomorrow when the sun is up, the top of the sky, we will skip stones. If I win, then I will eat you. If you win, then maybe not eat you. I agree, said Scunny Wandy, walking backwards as he spoke. I will return tomorrow. Scunny Wundy walked very slowly until he was around the bend in the river and the stone giant could no longer see him. Then he ran as fast as he could. He couldn't stop until he was in the sight of his village. He sat down on a log and began to laugh. <laughs> it had been so easy to outwit the stone giant. It was as his father had told him. Stone giants were stupid. Then, Scunny Wundy remembered. He'd given his word he would return the next day. His parents had always told him breaking a promise was a terrible thing. Not only that, if he didn't keep his word, the stone giant might come looking for him. It only had to follow the river. It wouldn't just find Scunny Wundy, but his whole village. It wouldn't just eat him, it would eat everybody. Then, Scunny Wundy went to bed that night. He was very quiet. His mother asked if anything was wrong, but Scunny Wundy said nothing. If he told his parents they'd try to fight the monster, it would eat them too. The next morning, before sunrise, Scunny Wundy walked slowly towards the north, along the river, certain that this would be his last day. As he walked, though, he kept looking down. Perhaps if he found just the right stone, he'd be able to beat the stone giant. He kept picking up stones and dropping them. None were just right. Then he heard a little voice from the ground ahead of him. It was calling his name. Scunny Wundy! Scunny Wundy! Take me! Scunny Wundy! Take me! Take me! Take me! Scunny Wundy looked down among the flat stones. Was one of them talking to him? Then he saw that what he thought to be a stone was a little turtle it said sticking out of its shell scundy-wundy the turtle said again take me take me take me take me you want me to use you as a skipping stone no 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 said the little turtle we can win we can win we can win we can win all right scundy-wundy said a small friend is better than no friend at all when you're in trouble the little turtle pulled in its head and legs. It looked just like a skipping stone. When Scundy Wundy placed the turtle into his belt pouch and continued on, the sun was high in the sky now. Soon, he would soon reach the place where he was to meet the stone giant. He could hear a sound like thunder, rolling and lightning striking. Sundy Wundy peeked around the bend in the river. There stood the stone giant, holding a huge boulder. <laughs> The stone giant rumbled, making a sound like thunder. Then it hurled the stone. The stone skipped sixteen times. and hit the other side with a sound like lightning. (laughs) Scunny Wundy thought about running away, but he remembered his promise. He stepped around the bend. Quee! Rumbled the stone giant as he saw him. Little food, I have been waiting for you. Are you ready to be eaten? Scunny Wundy held up his hand. Wait, he said, first we must have our contest, remember? <laughs> ah, the stone giant laughed. Throw your stone, then I shall beat you, and then I shall eat you. <laughs> no, Scunny Wundy said, you must go first. You challenge me. No, oh, the stone giant said, that is good. It picked up a stone large as a lodge, and then <laughs> hurled it. It struck the water with a great whap. Each time it skipped, it skipped 17 times and knocked down a dozen trees on the other side. Now, little food, the stone giant said, reaching for scunny Wandy. First, I must throw my stone, scunny Wandy said. His voice was calm, but his heart was beating so fast he thought it would burst. He reached into his pouch for a stone and found the little turtle. He pulled it out, drew back his arm, and threw... The turtle struck the water just right and started to skip. One, two, three, four, five, seven, it skipped. Eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve times, but it was slowing down. Just then, the little turtle stuck out his legs and began kicking. Thirteen, fourteen, fifteen times it skipped. Sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, Twenty times, and now it was skipping in circles. Twenty-one, twenty-two, twenty-three, twenty-four times it skipped, and then sank beneath the surface. Yes, yeah, Scundy Wundy shouted. I have won. Eat me if you want. But you have lost. The stone giant became very angry. It had never been defeated at anything before. It started to shake with rage. It shook and shook. It shook so hard, cracks appeared in this body. Flakes of rock flecked from its cheeks. Harder and harder it shook until it collapsed into a pile of little stones. So it was that with the help of his friend, the little turtle, Scunny Wendy defeated his first stone giant.
1: Oh, that's a wonderful story that Kalanjay Lushagoon has told for us this evening. I want to thank you, Kalanji, for that. And I want to thank you, our listeners, and invite you to take note that on October 19th, when we have our next show, our October show, our guest will be Dr. Wendy Mogul, author of Blessings of a Skin Knee. And it'll be a great show where we explore how children need to live with challenge. And um, so I invite you to Mark that date down on your calendar and be sure to tune in again for On Parenting on the third Monday of the month of October. And now that our show is coming to an end, I want to take some time to thank all those who've made this show possible. I want to thank our guest tonight, Stephen James, co-author of the book Wild Things, The Art of Nurturing Boys. I want to thank Lu Lushagoon for his fine story. And I want to thank our engineer, T. Sturdivant, for his work this evening, making our show possible and go smoothly. And I want to thank you all, our listeners, for tuning in and our callers with their great questions. And to my third graders at the Waldorf School, I want to say goodnight, children, and may the stars watch over you.